Welcome to Fugitive Journalism, a podcast from the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism. I'm Federica Cherubini, the Head of Leadership Development at the Institute. In this episode, we'll dig into uh, the most important trends that will shape journalism in 2021. Here are some of the questions we'd like to answer in the episode. Is it true that the pandemic is accelerating the shift to digital in the news industry? Which formats and technologies hold the most promise for journalists in 2021? And which revenue streams will publisher explore in the next few months? We'll talk about this with our guest, um, Nick Newman, who is a senior research associate at the Reuters Institute and the author of the report, Journalism, Media and Technology Trends and Prediction 2021, which you can find on the Reuters Institute website. Nick, welcome, and thank you for being with us today. Uh, thank you, Federica. It's really good to be here. So, Nick, this is a report you've authored for a few years now, and it's based um, this year on a survey of 234 senior executives from 43 different countries around the world. Which finding or findings um, surprised you the most about this year's report? Uh, well, I, um, I guess... I guess actually the optimism of the people we asked in the survey, I was expecting to find, given everything that's going on, you know, a huge amount of of, of gloom and doom, but actually I think 73% said they were optimistic about their own company's prospects and uh, pretty much half said they were optimistic about journalism in general, which, which actually is higher than this time last year. And I think, you know, to some extent that reflects the fact that although you know, the pandemic has been extremely difficult, you know, economically, um, very distressing personally. It's also, um, it's also taken away some of those barriers to change that have sort of been frustrating people on the one hand. And then I think secondly, it reflects a sort of confidence that somehow in the pandemic, people were coming back to journalism, that the product itself was really valuable to people. And, uh, you know, people hope that maybe we've turned a corner where we can again sort of distinguish journalism from from the massive information that's out there on the internet. You mentioned change uh, and a vast majority of the people you surveyed say that a pandemic is accelerating the shift to digital. Do you know what they really mean by that? Um, in which ways we'd say the pandemic is transforming journalism beyond its um, short-term effect? Right. I think that the sort of accelerator effect is a bit of a cliche. And what was really good about the survey is we had people talking about the different ways in which they expected their business uh, to be different or journalism to be different in 2021. And I think, you know, a couple of things. One is obviously working practices. So we saw for the first time, you know, whole television output being done from, from people's homes using Zoom for auto queue. And, you know, this was would have been unheard of a year ago. Uh, we also saw you know, newspapers being outputted with literally nobody in the office. So the whole thing was remote. Journalists who've been sort of holding out against many of these technology trends were forced to work in a different way and embrace these new tools. And I think, you know, talking to people this year, they say, we're not going back to how things were. You know, the newsrooms of the future are going to be different. They're going to be hybrid. They're going to be in-person and remote together. And this year is really going to be about working out how that happens. And that's partly about the tools, but it's also about, you know, trying to find the balance between efficiency of remote working, which people like, by the way, they say they don't want to go back to the office, but also how do you get the creativity? How do you avoid the sort of lack of human contact, which people find very difficult? So that's the first thing. 
And then I think the second sort of theme is really around journalism itself. Again, during the crisis, we saw that uh, there was a sort of renewed focus on on facts, because that's what people wanted. Uh, the value of specialist journalists really came out, you know, whether you were a health journalist or whether you were, um, uh, you know, answering listeners' questions, that was a huge theme. And I think we're also, so we're going to see, you know, specialism, I think, is going to be more valued. Answering listeners' questions, these formats uh, are going to be used more and valued more. And then I think um, we're going to see more coverage of certain areas like uh, mental health, obviously. It's going to be a huge theme. Uh, more reporters covering those kind of subjects, uh, wellness, and also trying to find more positivity in journalism as well. So these are all themes that people talked about. And so, of course, that's um, about the newsroom operation and, and the journalism um, side. And um, what about the impact of um, COVID on the business um, of journalism? Right. So, I mean, that's that's clearly um, been changing for some time. And again, COVID-19 has accelerated that shift towards subscription and paid content. So when we ask people what was the most what would be the most important uh, business model for their company in 2021, subscription is now at the top. So where we've asked this question before, it's been advertising, it's now subscription. And so we're going to all have more paywalls. That's, that's what more barriers to, to content for, uh, for some of us, for example. We're going to get quite irritated by that, I think, this year. But I think the other message is uh, really revenue diversification. So everyone is focusing on not, you know, there's no silver bullet. It's not subscriptions or advertising. It's kind of both of those. And then on top of that, on average, uh, our respondents said that four different revenue streams were going to be important to them this year. And that included things like events, which is a huge interest in e-commerce and also direct payment from platforms is going to be much more significant this year because both Google and Facebook are planning to roll out more uh, wall gardens where they pay content directly. They license content directly. Uh, and that's going to be a real, really interesting story to watch in 2021. I'm curious about the the e-commerce. Um, what has that to do with journalism? That's a really good question. So, so I think um, I think that it, in in I mean, in some ways, this goes back to the fact that during the pandemic, we've all got much more used to buying things online. And so therefore, this whole sort of chain of how you get interested in a product in the first place and then go on to complete it becomes uh, much more critical. So in the UK, for example, it was 20% at the beginning of the retail, uh, you know, e-commerce as a percentage of total retail was 20%. It's now 35%. So massive increase in our familiarity with that. And publishers are thinking, well, how can we get involved with that? And so I think there's kind of two things. One is you've got uh, publishers trying to create recommendations, if you like, independent re recommendations. The Independent in the UK does that with its Best Buy section. Um, you have the New York Times as a separate site called Wirecutter, um, where it's basically recommending in an impartial way different products and making affiliate fees from that. But then you also have the opportunity to brand things directly. So BuzzFeed's been doing this for some time with uh, Tasty Ice Cream, for example, based on its Tasty brand. Uh, and they are planning this year to um, focus on uh, wellness and sex aimed at millennials. And so they're selling things like sex toys and working with the manufacturers to actually sell uh, physical goods online as well. So, you know, you can call that journalism or you can call it uh, information, but these are ways in which um, publishers are thinking maybe we can get a share of that growing market. 
Um, before we move on to other topics, you also mentioned events. And as someone who uh, in the past was used to go to many events myself, um, now, of course, moved on, on Zoom or online. But what sorts of events might we see more of um, this year? What do you think? Yeah, so I think <clears throat> this is fascinating. And I, I don't know how this is going to work out. But again, what we've seen is this enormous change where suddenly a whole you know, millions of people have got confident and comfortable with going online and for paying for things uh, and, you know, consuming things over video. So previously events were very much about physical networking, relatively small numbers of people, high value. Increasingly, you know, you can create an event, you can invite, you know, hundreds of thousands of people to it or millions in the case of Jean-Michel Jarre, who did his New Year concert. You can stream it, you can create a whole load of interactive content around it. Uh, quite how that's going to work out in monetization terms, I'm not sure, but publishers are definitely looking at events and thinking about what is their physical event strategy, what's their online event strategy, whether that's just to create you know, email addresses, and maybe how do we combine that and make it hybrid? You know, so I think there's going to be a lot of action in that space. Um, thank you. That's that's really interesting to see what um, what will develop. Um, moving on to an, to a different topic that you um, took in the report. Um, one of the things that really surprised me from the report is that many of the survey respondents think that the rise of misinformation around COVID will have a positive impact on the way people perceive journalism as a trusted sources on what's happening in the world. Uh, I'm not sure that's that is a re realistic expectation, is it? Can you can you tell us more about what you found out in the report and 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 so about this? Yeah, I mean, publishers <clears throat> publish feel that um, the uh, you know rise of false news misinformation has strengthened their position or will strengthen their position. Something like 68% felt it, it it would, and I think a lot of that goes back to that sense that during this crisis, you know, they, they have, they've seen record audiences, um, the explanatory fact-based approach has really worked answering listeners' questions. I mean, one person, one of the senior editors talked about a renaissance of the news. And I think for sort of, um, for loyalists, that's probably true. But if you look more widely, we also see the significant number of people who increase their usage of social media during this period or alternative media sources. So, um, you know, we know there's a lot of people who are turning away from mainstream media despite record audiences and believe in something different. You know, for example, with COVID-19 uh, around the vaccines. And we've seen that in the US. We've also seen it in the UK where, you know, large numbers of people protesting outside hospitals saying that the hospitals are empty. It's all a fake. Uh, and these are not people who are part of that renaissance of journalism, if, if you like. Um, and I think this is a real worry and that media companies are really thinking uh, as well as about how to create that extra loyalty with their existing loyalists. How do you reach those people who are developing these alternative sets? How do you find ways of getting reliable information to them, whether you're a public service broadcaster or a subscription newspaper, there's a lot of thought going on there, uh, but it's going to be a theme this year. That's great. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm for the optimism, um, after all. <laughs> Always um, optimistic. Uh, let's talk about innovation. Um, the report highlights the fact that um, some the survey respondents think that um, best ideas rarely come from the top editors or from outside consultants, and instead um, often come from young journalists, um, other companies um, with which they have like knowledge sharing practices, multidisciplinary teams, 
should publishers reimagine the way they work um, in the light of this funding? Yeah, I, th I think the innovation question has been fascinating, again, partly because of what happened in the pandemic, because we saw a lot of innovation very, very quickly. I mean, in things like um, uh, journalistic formats, for example, pop-up newsletters, pop-up podcasts, often created literally in a couple of days. Um, there was one the other day, uh, I don't know if you saw it, Federica, but uh, ProPublica scraping all the videos from Parler, for example, and creating this sort of fantastic navigable interactive timeline that you could go through all the different videos by time and place. And this kind of innovation happens because uh, you know, when when there's a huge news event, bureaucracy is just stripped away. There's no time. And so teams feel empowered to make that change and do something they've never done before. And I think, you know, in the case of that example around Parler, it's also different types of people working together. So the idea of the multidisciplinary teams, a designer, somebody who understands the data structure of Parler, a journalist, you need all those people to be working in that cross-functional way. So I think that, uh, you know, media companies have long recognized this is the best way to do innovation and it's not a sort of hierarchical top-down thing, but they haven't quite worked out how to do it. And so they're still trying to impose those hierarchical models um, and sort of the silos and the politics continues to get in the way. I think, I actually think this is one of the biggest problems facing media companies. Um, and maybe, maybe the pandemic will have made people think again about how to remove that bureaucracy and how to get the sort of horizontals, if you like, working better. And you also mentioned, you know, new products being uh, produced quite quickly into this like way of, of fostering innovation. And the survey also shows that a critical role played by product managers um, in coordinating and shaping um, innovation and, and new products. Um, but it also highlights how product development is maybe not yet a discipline or a role which is fully understood and, and allocated um, in the newsroom. What can you tell us about that? Right. Yeah. So in the survey, we asked people how important they thought it was. And 93% said this was an incredibly important role. It's kind of the translator, if you like. Um, it's one of the key roles that gets those uh, different disciplines working together. But it also, you know, really shapes in a uh, in an evidence-based way, what you should do and what you shouldn't do. So it's not just looking at gut, gut feel. And uh, But we found that only, um, you know, half or so or less than half actually felt that the role was understood, that people on the journalistic side, for example, understood what product managers do and why it's important. So there's, there's definitely a gap there. And I think it just speaks to what I was talking about earlier is that sort of publishers know the right things to do and the right roles to have, but it hasn't quite gelled yet. And so maybe 2021 will be the year it does. Uh, talking about um, roles and, and, and teams, I, I also want to talk about talent. Um, the price of talent has gone up as a subscription-focused platform like Substack, for example, demonstrate the value of exceptional journalists working in a niche. Right. Um, and it's of the yesterday to the day before we were recording this, um, this episode, the news that Forbes is launching a new paid newsletter product, which is basically adapting the blog strategy into newsletter format, um, splitting the revenue 50-50 um, with, with these journalists. And, and so the idea is to create a platform that offers writers, marketing, editorial, salary benefits of being part of the Forbes newsroom, but also gives them enough editorial independence. Um, and so existing staff, in the case of Forbes, are eligible to apply to launch a newsletter on the platform. Um, so this creator economy, in a way, gives flexibility and rewards journalists with an independent personal following. 
but will there be growing pay disparities and, and, and tension in the newsroom between stars and, and the rest of the team? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uh, lot of issues in there. I mean, I think the Substack story has been fascinating, but we should remember um, that uh, that we've seen this before. You know, with 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 kind of blogs where that possibility that an individual journalist is going to be able to uh, you know separate themselves from a news organization, build that direct relationship, and make significant amounts of money. Now, the difference is that was based on advertising, and we know how that worked out. Uh, Substack and some of the other models like the Forbes model is either fully or partly based on subscription. And the economics of that are very different. You know, if you have a thousand people subscribing to your newsletter at say $599, you know, that's $60,000, $70,000 a year. And if you get 2000 people, that's double that. And you're getting into lots of money for top end providers who can attract, you know, three, 4,000 people. And why would you not do that and share that with another company? I think the Forbes model is interesting. It's kind of a halfway house where you still get some of the benefits of being part of a company. So some editorial independence help with, with sort of editing legal if things come up. So you're not completely on your own, but of course they want to take some of the money. So yeah, these models I think are going to be interesting. I don't think they're going to replace traditional media organizations, but it's an extra layer of, uh, of journalism and of connection and of uh, making money for journalists as well, which, which is definitely worth watching this year. I want to close talking about the next generation technologies. Um, so in your last chapter in the report, you look at how new technologies like um, AI, augmented reality, 5G connectivity um, will affect journalism. What opportunities do these technologies provide to journalism? Well, I mean, if you just take AI, uh, firstly, um, because people think that that's the most important uh, sort of if you if you stack up 5G, which is about faster connectivity, new devices, which is more screens and then AI uh, publishers feel that AI is the one they really need to get their heads around. And we've been talking about it for a number of years, but mainly in. Uh, you know, in a lab situation rather than real life. And, and what we now have, and I think this year we're going to see much more of, is practical real-life applications of this. Uh, for example, on the, on the news gathering side, you have a publication in Peru that's created a tool that uses uh, machine learning to essentially spot potential patterns of corruption in government procurement contracts. So that's kind of a really good example on the news gathering side. On the production side, you have big news agencies like Reuters and others using speech to text technologies. So that's another part of the AI set, trying to make its historic videos much more searchable. So you can go directly to the point in a long video that you need much quicker to get what you need. And then you've got a whole load of publications um, using AI tools to monitor things like uh, gender and racial bias in the output and then flag the results to editors. So these are things that you could do manually. You could write it all down, but technology makes it possible to scale those things uh, across different platforms. And then there's a whole load of stuff around personalization as well, which is, which is I think, a, a huge challenge um, about how to do that right and how to mix technology like AI and journalistic uh, common sense as well. What about smart devices? What can we expect um, to see this year? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's been, we, we've been in a period, I, I guess, of smartphone dominance. And, and the question now is what lies beyond the smartphone? Uh, and I think 
that partly because of 5G, we're, we're moving to more devices that are going to be independently connected to the internet. So some will have screens, some won't have screens. Um, and some of these are really growing very fast now. So headphone, headphones, which used to be just sort of attached to your smartphone, are becoming independent platforms in their own right. Smart speakers, um, these are controlled, will be controlled increasingly by voice or gesture. Uh, so uh, these are growing very fast. You also have smart watches, uh, which is the fastest growing sector of all after a very slow start. And then you've got this year, uh, we're certainly going to see some more activity around smart glasses. So the idea that you can have a digital overlay as you look out on the world. So both uh, Apple and Facebook are going to make announcements or likely to make announcements of some kind this year. Um, and I think, I think the takeaway from all of that is that um, there are going to be more moments when we can slip information into our ears or into our eye lines going forward. And therefore, we need to think more about the context in which people are receptive to news at particular times and, and the formats that are going to work in those environments as well. So much um, to keep monitoring. Um, Nick, thank you very much for joining us today. Pleasure. Our guest today was Nick Newman, Senior Research Associate at the Reuters Institute and the author of the report Journalism, Media and Technology Trends and Predictions 2021, which you can find on the Reuters Institute website. Make sure to follow our podcast channel on Spotify or Apple Podcast so you don't miss the next episode. And if you don't want to miss any news from the Institute, subscribe to our weekly newsletter by clicking the link on our Twitter bio or going through our homepage. Thank you for listening to Future of Journalism. I'm Federica Carubini. We'll be back soon.